Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Philippians three thirteen and 14. Brothers, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, who used to be known as Saul, had come to a resolute decision in his life, realizing he was on a journey. And in order to reach what was still in front of them, he had to make a very radical and a conscious decision to forsake a lifestyle he had been living, had totally devoted to it, to put it behind him, forget it, not allow it to control his present, so that with every nerve in his body he could be stretching forward to something there in the future. Church, we're going somewhere. To get there, forget what's behind. Forget where you come from. Forget what you've been through. Forget. And focus with everything within you on the goal that is set before us. Paul had to come to that resolute, strong decision. Let me explain what it means in terms of the Philippian church that Paul is writing to. If you were to take the time to read the whole epistle, and it won't take you long, it's only four chapters. But you would pick up little clues here and there about their circumstances. And one of the circumstances is that they were experiencing conflict from some adversaries. There were some enemies that had make themselves known and were inflicting a certain level of suffering on the Philippian church. Church, you and I don't know anything about suffering. I haven't got a clue in the West about suffering. But this church at Philippi was beginning to experience a level of suffering from enemies and the appearance was that the suffering would increase if they didn't change some of the things they were doing. We call our faith Christianity, but at the time that this letter was written, Christianity was not recognized as a legal religion in the world. The Roman Empire did not recognize Christianity as something separate from Judaism as legal. Judaism was a legal religion, but if these followers of Jesus were going to go about claiming in Philippi, which was a Roman colony, that Jesus is Lord instead of Caesar, 
is Lord, they could expect trouble. They could expect retribution. It wasn't legal what they were doing. But Judaism was recognized as a legal religion. And so instead of embracing suffering for the faith, some people had an idea since that Christianity has its roots in Judaism, that we should adopt Judaism, we should hide our faith under the guise of Judaism, be Messianic Jews and hide it under there. And uh, that way we won't have to suffer for our faith or suffer less. Maybe we could find safety under the umbrella of Judaism. But Paul said that would be a backward step in your spiritual progress. Matter of fact, all this law-keeping that you want to go back to, Paul was said, that's the very thing I was delivered out of. I came out of that. If you were to hide under that umbrella, you would hide under something that was totally useless, lifeless, incapable of giving life. And so he's going to hold before them the example of Christ. And read this with me, Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 to 11, which we heard read out in this morning's service, actually. Using the example of Jesus. Now, at the end of the story is glory. But before Christ ascended to glory, he first had to tread through the path of suffering including the cross. To get to glory is through the path of suffering. Using the example of Jesus in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, let this mind be in you. In other words, I want you to imitate this. I want you to learn from the life of Jesus this lesson. We know the end of the story is glory, but the path to glory... Well, another place in the Bible, Paul was saved through much tribulation... We enter the kingdom. So let this mind be in you. Get focused like this. Get this understanding, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, I remember hearing someone preach that once and says, nobody took away or destroyed his reputation. He made himself of no reputation. What Paul is going to pick up on here is that he purposely gave up status and advantages. Jesus purposely gave up status and advantages who thought it not robbery to equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man. You're going to hear all that language again in chapter 3, where Paul says, I want to be made in his image. I want to be found in Christ. Before we can be made into his image and found in Christ, Jesus gave up all his status to be made in our image and to be found as a man. We're to copy the example of Jesus. 
He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. For this reason, because he chose to give up his advantages, went through the path of suffering, wherefore God has also highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The path to glory for Jesus was giving up status and position, advantage, giving it all up, embraced suffering, and at the end of the story, he was raised to glory. Now Paul says, get that thinking in your mind. Because now you're beginning to experience suffering, and it appears that the suffering is going to increase. You don't want to escape it. You need to embrace it. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let me say it one more time. The path to glory is through the cross. The path to glory is through the cross. And there is nothing like the cross to demonstrate the nature of God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus at the cross. And what you will see there is this. The nature of God is to die to himself for the sake of others. That's his heartbeat. That's his nature. To die for the sake of others. His nature is to be a servant to others. His nature is to die to himself and to pour himself out for the sake of others. And on the cross, Jesus exemplified this to absolute perfection. And just as the end of the story for Jesus was being exalted to glory, if we embrace the same path and not shy away from the hardships that come with our faith, then Paul is saying, we will do the same. Amen. Amen. We will do the same. You see, Jesus has already arrived at his glorified place. You and I aren't there yet. Have you noticed? We're not there yet. But what we've got is we're on the journey. You've heard me say this so many times, I don't need to explain it, except to say it, our salvation is already, but not yet. It has begun, but it has not yet finished with the second coming and the second appearing of Jesus. I'm free from the penalty of sin. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm set free every day from the power of sin. But the day is coming when this corruption puts on incorruption, and I'll be delivered from the very presence of sin itself. Amen. But we're not there yet. You're engaged to be married, but not yet married. The process has begun, but you were not yet at that final day. And in order to help Paul's readers here in Philippians to get the right attitude to this increase of hardship and suffering in their life, he reminds them that they have already begun in Jesus, 
And suffering is part of the process that leads to glory. But you're in a process. You're on a journey. And that's why he'll make statements like this in chapter 1 and verse number 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We're heading towards a day. God's begun something in you and He will continue to perform that work in you until the final revelation of glory at the appearing of Jesus. Church, you're on a journey. You have a destination. You have a date with glory. Amen. That's why He says in chapter 2.16, Hold forth the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. That's why he says in chapter 3 and verse 20, our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in heaven from where we are looking for our Savior, even the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives Jesus as the example, and now in chapter 3, he's going to give himself as an example of somebody who's followed the pattern of Jesus the work out in his flesh and blood, I want you to see this worked out in my experience, Paul says, so that you can also work it out in your experience. And the first thing he's going to tell us in chapter 3, verses 4 to 14, is this. There is no future to your past. So let go of it. There's no future to your past. You see, Paul had a life before he met Jesus. He was known as Saul, the Pharisee. But this is something. He had worked hard to demonstrate his Pharisaic righteousness in his old life. But one day, this is good news. One day he had been captured. He had been captivated. He had been taken prisoner on the road to Damascus one day. Jesus took him captive. Delivered him from his past and gave him something far better. Far better. He would say in this passage, I need to know him. This one who interrupted my life. I need to know Him. And when it says, I need to know Him, He's not thinking of some merely mental academic equation. Well, I know that. Yes, I know that. But to know Him is to experience a revelation of a living person. That dead law is going to be exchanged for a living, powerful, vital relationship with a resurrected God, that I may know Him. But Paul was so dedicated to his past, what could possibly cause him to change his mind? How could he forsake his past, to which he had dedicated his entire life since he was born? His testimony begins at eight days old. His entire life was dedicated to a certain way of living. 
And the reason he can make such a radical decision is because he realized that a righteousness based on his own achievements was a dead end. That is a hard lesson for people to get into their heads. Righteousness based on your own achievements is a dead end. But in Christ, in that experience, he found that he was partaker of a sure future. That he would receive a righteousness that is the product of the love of God instead of his own achievements. So Paul is saying, don't be held back by a dead past. We're destined for glory. They want to go back to keeping the law. We'll read that in a second. But law keeping was the very thing that Paul was converted from. And so he recognizes the complete fallacy of the Philippians going back there just to hide themselves in a time of persecution. So he wants to urge his readers with the utmost passion and warn them, go, don't go down that false route. Why would you do that? Remember your beginnings. Remember that God has initiated something that is so much better for you, and that is you get to know Christ. You get to experience Christ. And if you know Christ, that means you're going to be found by Him. That's going to result in fellowship with Him, both now and forever in your future. When it comes to the law-keeping, Paul says, don't tackle me on that issue. I've been there. And if you want to play that game, I know how to play that one. I know the rules. And I know the dead end of it. I've got lots of experience. He says, I know what I'm talking about. He wants his readers, these Philippians, to understand this. That in the present... Before you get to that final day called glory, the appearing of Jesus. In the present, this world opposes you. That you will suffer in the present. But don't hide from it, he's going to say. Because the future reward is worth fighting for. Come on. The future reward is worth vigorous pursuit. It's worth overcoming all discouragement. Paul, to Paul that was so true that he would said, the present circumstances I find myself in are quite irrelevant. I know how to abound. I know how to be abased. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I'm going through here because it's totally irrelevant because this is not my story. My story is still being told. And my present circumstances are actually preparing me for an abundant share in the glory. That's what he's trying to get across to these Philippians. He will say this. That suffering is actually God's way of causing you and I to conform to the death of Christ. Suffering is actually how we are conformed to the death of Christ. 
Victory in the midst of suffering is made possible through the power of his resurrection. In other words, through the abundant supply of the Holy Spirit. So he's going to refer to his past to begin with. You know, in verse number, uh, the last part of verse number 4, he begins to say this. If anybody else has a reason to trust in the past, I do. I'm more qualified than anybody else to put some trust in the past, and I'm telling you, and I'm forgetting it. What kind of a past did I have? I excelled in it. I had status. I had achievements. I had all kind of advantages. Paul was known for his impeccable credentials as a Pharisee. But you remember, Jesus gave up his credentials to suffer, to end up in glory. Remember? Let this mind be in you. And Paul, who was then known as Saul, says, I'm going to give up my credentials. Embrace what the world throws at me, because the end of the story is glory. I was circumcised the eighth day. Boy, his testimony begins when he's eight days old. The boundary marker that set the Jews apart from the rest of the world. I'm from the people, the stock of Israel. Paul said, I belong by birth to the very people that God has chosen in history. I don't need to be circumcised to be brought into the people. I was born in it. You Gentiles weren't. I have an advantage over you. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Not just any tribe, but the tribe of Benjamin. This is the favored tribe in Israel. It was prophesied about Benjamin, the tribe that he beloved of the Lord. The Lord will dwell safely by him. The Lord will cover him all day long and he shall dwell between his shoulders. Benjamin was the tribe that stood with Judah in the history of the Old Testament people. And they became part of Judah. And they chose King David when ten other tribes did not do it. It wasn't the city of Jerusalem. What tribe do you think it was located in? The tribe of Benjamin. Oh, he's, he's full of pride. I'm, I'm from Benjamin. I really got an advantage. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I mean, I'm just not imported Gentile. I'm pure Hebrew stock. Just how pure Hebrew stock was he? He says, well, concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. My entire life was devoted to the study of the law, devoted to the application of the law. He came from a very strict school of interpretation, and that was a matter of intense personal pride for him. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. I was fully dedicated to stamping out anything in this world that disagreed with our pharisaical interpretation of the Scriptures. This Jesus movement has to be obliterated because he obviously is a man cursed from God because he hung on a cross and the law says, cursed be anybody that hangs on a tree. So as far as he was concerned, Jesus was a man cursed by God and this whole Jesus movement was a terrorizing thing to the faith. And he says, I'm zealous for what I believed, to the point he would liberate Christianity. Concerning the righteousness of the law, 
You're looking at a blameless man, he says. His outward, his observable conduct was perfect. 100%. Not 99. Perfect. He observed every Sabbath, every holy day, every dietary law, every law concerning ritual uncleanness. He, everything that would keep him separate from a Gentile. Perfect obedience. By his own obedience to these laws, he was demonstrating, trying to demonstrate, that he was a member of the people of God and he excelled in it. His pride was there. His tradition, his ancestry, his inheritance was there. Filled his heart with pride, I am sure. But when he met Jesus... Oh, this is good stuff now. But when he met Jesus, he discovered that his former way of life, based upon tradition, based upon inheritance, based upon family line, based upon what his father had taught him, his grandfather had taught him, what he had discovered when he met Jesus, that everything he had experienced to date was empty and meaningless. How many know when Jesus comes into your life, it destroys you? Amen? Life as you know it is over when Jesus comes into your life. As a Pharisee, Paul had stood on the other side of the issue that he's talking right now. And he's saying, why do you Gentiles, just to escape suffering, why do you want to go there? I'm telling you, leave it behind. There's no future in the past. Amen? And I could modernize this if you want me to. There's no future in tradition. There's no future in religion. There's no future in legalism. If you don't say amen, I will. There's no future in any of that stuff whatsoever. Your future is not based upon your heritage, not based upon what church you grew up in, not based on what tradition you learned, not based upon what rules you kept to prove to the world that you're a holy person. Your future is not based on that whatsoever. Leave it behind. Your future is based on an encounter with a living, resurrected Jesus Christ who just messes up your future for you. Messed up your past and what you thought was your future. He's got something far better for you. Amen? But it's not found in anything you grew up with. It's found in knowing Him. Amen? It's found in knowing Him. You see, this guy named Saul of Tarsus one day radically met Jesus on the road to Damascus. That encounter forced him to reorient his entire life, his entire purpose, his entire thinking, his entire understanding and interpretation of the scriptures, his entire theology had to be reworked. How can he meet someone risen from the dead when the resurrection is still future? (laughs) 
But the resurrection has started because I met somebody raised from the dead. And he had to say, the resurrection is not just at the last day. The resurrection has already begun. And by the power of His Spirit, I can know the power of His resurrection before I'm resurrected. I mean, His whole thinking had to be totally changed. I wonder how long it took Him. No wonder He had to be on the back deserts of Arabia for a while. To re-sort out everything that He believed. Because His whole future used to be based on His past. And now we found out his real future is not tied to his past. A total change of thinking. But one thing he found when he discovered Jesus, or should I say Jesus discovered him, that now he has something of far greater worth than anything he could ever hope for to achieve on his own. But it means dropping your past. Now that's radical. Because you know how deeply your conscience is governed by the way you were brought up. Governed by your traditions. Governed by the culture in which you were raised. And Paul is saying your future is not in your conscience. It's not in your culture. It's not in your traditions. It's not in the way your family brought you up. Your future is in knowing Christ. And that is your future. Difficult stuff. So as we keep on reading in, in, chapter, in chapter 3, he's now going to speak like he's an accountant, making statements of what's profit and what's loss. When he discovered the grace of God in Jesus, it made him look upon his past with contempt. That's a strong word. But it made him look upon his past with contempt. He began to treat his past with these kinds of words. That was a total waste of my time. All those years I lived like that was a complete loss. It was an exercise, now that I met Jesus, I recognized this past as an exercise in total futility. And it amounts to nothing more than a heap of street garbage that dogs rummage through. He would call it refuse. And politeness will not allow me to say what it really means. Now that he encountered the person of Jesus, saw the nature of God's love, and that he had undeservedly experienced this kind of love, there's no need for me to look for advantage in anything else. I have been accepted by love, and God has declared me righteous as a free gift. Goodbye, past Goodbye. I'm disassociating myself with it, with everything within me. Because if I allow myself to be tied, even in my conscience, back to that, it's not going to allow me to stretch forward to the future because it's still trying to hold me back. Goodbye to the past. 
Lesson number one, there's no future in your past. Turn your back on it. Turn your back on it. The future is determined by what you do in the present. He goes on to say, The things that were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Because he encountered a resurrected and ascending and a loving Christ, he now has a completely new sense of what gain is, what true profit is. He had already said back in chapter 1, to die is gain. He already had said that. He's come to realize that whatever he thought was to his profit out of his past, his blamelessness, his perfection to keeping tradition, are the very things now that he's met Christ. He now considers all of that as a loss of all those years of my life. They were wasted, lost years. That's my thinking on it, Paul said. I lost decades of my life to that stuff. My future is not there. As a matter of fact, I count all things loss for the excellency, the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, because of whom I have gladly let it all go, gladly suffered. I'm glad to get that off my back so I can know Him. I count it as rubbish. That's the word I won't translate for you. I count it as dung, is the polite way of saying it, so that I may win Christ. He realized his religious past was a deficit. And now he knows, because he has experienced the glory of God, he knows that there's simply no comparison between my status that I thought I had with the surpassing value, the overwhelming greatness of the gain I have received in my experience with Christ. He earlier said in the epistle, for me to live is is Christ. He refers to Jesus as my Lord. A personal word. My Lord. My Lord. You see, Paul could never get over And he can never erase out of his consciousness the Lord's amazing love for him. In spite of all he did in persecuting the church, committing believers to their death, hauling them off to prison, splitting their families, taking the children away from the parents, he couldn't get over in spite of being a sworn enemy to this imposter named Jesus. That that Jesus would turn around and love him and give himself for him. How does that compute? What amazing grace. What amazing life. And Paul could never get over the fact that he, as far as he was concerned, the chief of sinners, the, the, the worst of them all, had received mercy in response his persecution. Because of this great 
undeserved and merciful love to such an enemy as himself. Paul gladly let go of everything he had built up for himself. He let go of his blamelessness before the law, his zeal in persecuting the church. He let go his traditions. He let go his family background. He let go his culture. He let go his heritage, his ancestry. What is any of that compared to this amazing God who has had mercy on me? What is it? And he lets all the past go. Have I told you? There's no future in your past. Amen. Have we got that? There's no future in your past. Get rid of it. Let it go. Cut the ties. He saw that his old manner of life amounted to less than nothing. That lifestyle could not impart love into his heart. That lifestyle did not satisfy his soul. And in comparison to what I have in Christ is nothing more than vulgarity. It's equal to refuse. It's nothing more than street garbage that dogs would rummage through. I've experienced and I've tasted something better. Like Paul, we all have to make a choice. Are we going to cling to or be ruled by our past? Or will we pursue Christ that shows such great love? Will we take pride in our heritage? Or are we going to find a new identity and the love of Christ? Let this mind be in you what Paul is saying. So Paul is going to ask the question, will we keep on pushing with everything within us to know this Jesus better? To know Him more instantly? Are we going to, in all the circumstances, when opposition and suffering comes, realizing that suffering is causing me to conform to, the, to His cross, His death on the cross, that's what the purpose of suffering is. And I, when I go through it, instead of running from it, am I going to press into Jesus instead? that I might know the power of His resurrection to give me victory and overcoming and the ability to pass through the whole thing in victory. What am I going to do? Like a beggar who scavenges through garbage dumpsters. Have you ever seen that? People picking through garbage before it's collected find a scrap to eat. Have you seen it? Well... If that person was invited to a gourmet meal, I'll guarantee you, he won't be picking through the garbage anymore. You and I have a gourmet meal ahead of us. Amen? So to gain the knowledge of Christ requires turning our back on former things. But what does it mean to know Him? What does it mean to know Him? Sometimes in evangelical circles, we say, do you know Christ? And that means, do you know Him as your personal Savior? Have you said a sinner's prayer? Believe you me, you can say a prayer and haven't got a clue who Jesus is. It's knowing Him. A revelation of who He is. It is an intimate relationship with a living person. A parent knows his child. A husband knows his wife. It is personal experience. It is intimate relationship. It means to know him means you live in his presence. You know his voice. You're led by his spirit. You walk and you talk with a living God. That I may know him. 
Then he says, that I might be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is based on the law, but the kind of righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, that comes by, from God. The reason Paul says, I, I'm craving, is I want to be found in Christ. Because Jesus gave up his status to be found as a man. Now I, as a man, want to be found in Christ. And like Jesus gave up his advantages to be found as a man, I'm going to give up my advantages to be found in Christ. I'm going to let it all go. I, when will we be found in Christ? Well, when he appears, it'll be perfect. But we're not there yet. And right now we have some opposition and hardships and suffering. But I want to be found in Him now. It takes the power of His resurrection to get me through the challenges of life. But compared to such a price, what's my past? That was a carnal righteousness in my past. It has no power because there's no Holy Spirit. Did you catch that one? There's no power because it's a theology that does not embrace the real active activity of the Holy Spirit. I'm not interested in a tradition that doesn't believe in the anointing, in the presence of God, in the divine enabling of the Holy Spirit. I don't want that kind of righteousness. There is a righteousness that is given by the divine empower and the divine enabling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, hallelujah, has been given. My heart can be changed. My behavior can be changed. Paul says, I'm forever finished with that. There's a new righteousness that comes from God through faith in Christ that is accompanied with the power of the Holy Spirit. And now that I've tasted and I've touched, what, what, what it's like is... resurrection is in the future but somebody back here has already been raised before the day of resurrection and it's almost like Paul is saying the future the glory of the future has somehow reached forward backward in time and the future has come back to me and delivered me from the futility of my past started me on a new journey and I'm already tasted, I've already experienced the power of His resurrection. Now that I've had the taste, I want the whole thing. Amen? I want the whole thing. The Holy Spirit has come to me. And so what it has done for me is I, I want to know Jesus. I can have this power in the midst of my difficulties and the midst of my challenges. To know Christ means I have to imitate Him, give up my advantages, be subject to difficult times, knowing that the end of the story is glory. And so we don't run away from sufferings. We allow them to conform us to his, his death. 
We, like Jesus, will learn to die to ourselves. We, like Jesus, will learn to be poured out for the sake of others. And He gives the power of His resurrection in the midst of it all to get us through. And that power of His resurrection is none other than the mighty power, the mighty working of the Holy Spirit. You see, all the suffering is meaningless if you haven't got the Spirit of God to get you through it. Amen? The suffering is meaningless unless you have the power of His resurrection taking us through. Well, seeing that we've tasted and been forgiven like that, who can do else except go for it? Amen? Who can do anything else with their life except to go for it? If by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Then he shifts his metaphors. Now he's going to talk like he's an athlete in a race. You see, he somehow he's already tasted the finish line. He's already experienced something of that finish line. And now he's an athlete. He's like a runner, focused on the finish line. He's entirely focused on gaining the full knowledge of this Jesus that appeared to him on the road to Damascus. I want to know him in the way that can only be known fully and accomplished at his coming. When I see him in the fullness of his glory, I've tasted the reality already. It's the day when my salvation will be completed. I long for that day. With such a goal, he presses on when it gets tough. He presses on. He pushes. And he drives to that goal. He sets himself in motion. He wants to take a hold of that future, that day, as aggressively as he can. He does that because he once was an enemy of Jesus Christ. But Christ pursued him. Christ laid hold of him until he made Saul of Tarsus his own. And as God had laid hold of Saul, now Saul who would Comes Paul says, now I'm going to lay hold of this Jesus that appeared to me. I'm going to lay hold of him. And his entire life lives under the control of that single impulse. I'm looking for the day when he appears in all his glory. I'm going to see him as he is. And history will be wrapped up that day when the glory of God is manifest in the appearing of Jesus Christ. My life has been affected by this, he says. It's like every nerve, every muscle is strained towards. He's fixated upon that single goal of knowing Jesus. Every impulse in his being has been dominated by that desire. He pursues that prize that is absolutely worth the sacrifice of everything to attain. He's not after any wreath on his head. He's not after some gold medal at the Olympics. He's after knowing the fullness of this God who has made himself known to him. It drives his entire life that I may know him. I will not pay any attention, he says. I will not be distracted by anything from my past. My past is going to be dismissed as something irrelevant to me, useless. I'm not going to let suffering, opposition, stop me. I'm not going to run from it. 
Instead of running from it, I'm going to press in to know Him. And pressing to know Him, I'm going to experience the power of His resurrection and the mighty Holy Spirit is going to get me through the challenges, get me through the trials. And I'm in the whole thing, I'm conforming to the image of His death. I'm becoming more like God through the experience. And I'm pressing forward to know Him. It's worth running after. Fight the good fight, he would say another place. I'm pressing towards the fullness of the stature of Christ. I'm going to hold myself steady to the future orientation to know Him. You see, there's a prize of the high calling. It's a heavenly call. It's an upward call. It's a call for you to participate in things that are well beyond anything in this passing world. Amen. You've been called to something far better than this world. Goodbye, world. Goodbye. It's a heavenward call. It's a call to fellowship with the Son of God. I know I'm destined for glory, he says. I've tasted. I yearn for his presence. And it's the incredible love of God that came to me so undeserving that has made all of this possible. You see, in our church services, I don't want to gather out of habit. I don't want to gather because tradition has taught us to gather. I don't want to gather because it's been ingrained in our conscience that what you're supposed to do. I want us to gather because we've been captured and captivated by the love of God. Amen? We're not here because our past has told us to be. We're here because we've experienced God. Amen? Are you with me? Are you with me? In our church services, let's not gather out of habit, but every time we meet, it is with an intensity we must meet God. Each and every time. We must in church learn to release our souls to Him in our worship, in our prayer, in our praise. To give Him our hearts wholeheartedly every time to pour ourselves out to Him. When we have prayer meetings, they're not simply because that's what we're supposed to do. That's what good Christians do. And we simply bring our, our, our prayer list to God like as a shopping list and tell God all the unknown information He doesn't seem to know. No, what we're after is my heart must touch his heart. His heart must touch my heart. When we minister, let us not minister out of a tradition or out of a culture, but let us only minister because we encounter God. Amen? Getting messages ready that reflect the heart of God, believe you me, it's hard work. It's easier just to pull an old sermon off the shelf you haven't heard somewhere and I preach it somewhere else. And you don't know I preach it somewhere else. But no, it can't come like that. It's got to come by just laying yourself before God. Laying yourself before God and say, Talk to me. Speak to me. Birth something in me. I need to be in your presence to hear what you've got to say. 
Because we want ministry to happen because it's been birthed by being in His presence. It's not birthed out of a past that was useless. Follow what we're saying? Press on to know God. I want the flow out of my heart to be fresh. I need His presence. We need to know Him. We need His Spirit in ever-increasing dimensions until the fullness of the revelation of Jesus Christ in the last day. We must never settle. Must never settle. Because there is coming one day a full revelation when faith will give way to sight. When the part is absorbed in the complete. When the evening stars in the darkness of the night yield to the bright full sun of the day. When our hope is consummated. When this corruptible will yield to incorruption. When this mortal will yield to immortality. We will see Jesus in His glory. In His perfection. Have I told you the end of the story? Is glory. So Philippians, the right thing to do is forget your past. You started well, didn't you? Remember how you started? The Lydia at the river praying with the women. You remember that? Do you remember Paul casting a demon out in the marketplace? Do you remember that? Do you remember Paul and Silas singing at midnight? Do you remember that? Do you remember the earthquake? Do you remember that? I mean, this church started with a bang. Do you remember that? Do you remember the Philippian jailer in his house? Do you remember that? Do you remember the majestic move of God? You have tasted the power of God. You have tasted the presence of God. You have tasted the glory of God. Now you're getting rough because it's not a legal religion. Don't go hiding in some past. Forget the past. God has caused you to taste it. You've tasted it. Now there's opposition. Don't run from it, but conform to the death of Christ and believe in the power of His resurrection and you too will be singing praises at midnight in the darkest of the jail. Know the power of His resurrection. Press on to know Him. Don't run from the challenge. Press on, press on, and press on because you keep pressing on and the day will come when you will get to the day of glory when Jesus is appears keep pushing to know the presence of God amen keep pushing in prayer don't give up on prayer don't give up on seeking for a revival don't give up on breakthrough don't give up but seek him seek him and seek him because yes there are challenges yes there are difficulties but he's given us a taste of glory the power of his spirit will bring us through every situation. Keep pressing. Keep pressing. Hallelujah. God's good. Amen? He's good.